0: Oh, I'm so grateful for this worship ministry, aren't you? What a blessing every single week. You know, I don't normally give a disclaimer before a message. But I feel very much like I need to do that this morning because of the topic we're looking at. If you have a message guide with you this morning, you'll see those disclaimers there. But there may be some folks watching on Facebook Live this morning or... There may be some folks who view this message a little later on our website. So for those of you who are here this morning, if you'll just allow me the indulgence of reading these disclaimers, um, because I feel like it's important that everyone who hears this message also hears this. There's two of them. Number one, and you'll see them there. This is a message particularly for those of us who are Christ followers, While it may be, and I believe it certainly can be helpful to non-Christians to hear these truths, what I'm going to be sharing today is framed within the reality of a personal, intimate walk with God through Jesus Christ. Now that's the key every Sunday, okay? But this Sunday especially. And then the second disclaimer, just a little more lengthy, but please allow me to read it. This message is not in any way intended to discount or diminish the need that many people have, including Christians. For clinical help in dealing with major depressive episodes, counseling, psychotherapy, and or medications may be and often are necessary in dealing with depression, and Christians should not be ashamed or reluctant to seek out this kind of help. However, for believers, the truths that will be shared today also have their place in helping us combat depression, And for us to ignore what God has to say to us about this means that we forfeit the great spiritual resources that are also available to us as His beloved children. So with those disclaimers, let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come today to open Your Word. It is always a weighty time when we do that. I pray that we approach this time with the utmost seriousness. Uh, That's not special because of the topic we're dealing with today. That's special because every time we open your Word, we are hearing from you. And so, Father, I pray that you will give us spiritual ears to hear, eyes to see what you would say to us today. Oh, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher as in all things and help us to understand in a clearer way the resources that we have as your people to live life on this planet with all of its hurt and all of its difficulties and all of its disappointments, to understand, Lord, that you tell us we still can be more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. So assure us of that today, speak into our hearts by your spirit. May this written word become a living word for us this morning is the prayer that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. On August the 11th, 2014, the entertainment industry and the world was rocked, stunned by the news of the death of the famous actor comedian Robin Williams. This man, who seemingly had everything, took a belt, wrapped it around his neck, and hung himself. It was later revealed that Robin Williams fought an ongoing and desperate battle with depression. Gary Marshall, who was a writer for the comedy series, Mork and Mindy. I don't know how many of you might remember that. It was really the television series that gave Robin Williams his start. Gary Marshall said this, I will be forever in awe of Robin Williams' timing, his talent, and his pure golden creativity. He could make everybody happy but himself. I never will forget it was just a month after Robin Williams' death that a wonderful friend of mine from Spartanburg, someone I went to seminary with, a devout follower of Christ, a Christian, and a beloved pastor, sent his wife a text one day that said simply, I love you, don't come home by yourself. And he took a shotgun and he went out into the backyard behind his house. And he took his life, leaving behind his wife, three sons, and a world of questions and confusion. I later learned that he too battled with depression. Then on February the 22nd, 2017, My own nephew went out behind Lake Cunningham Fire Department. Before he went there, he stopped by a pawn shop, purchased a pistol, and killed himself, leaving behind a wife, two daughters. Statistics tell us, church, that fully one half the people sitting in this auditorium today will experience at least one major bout with depression, and fully 85% of us will experience depression to a later degree. I I just want to be honest with you this morning and say, I've battled with this myself. I have had to seek some help for this myself. Now, it, it, is not, it is not my intention this morning to deal with the topic of depression from a clinical or a medical perspective. That's why I read those disclaimers to you. I, I, I have to leave that to people who are more knowledgeable and more qualified than I am in those medical areas. But I do hope this morning to give you some spiritual insight from God's Word that can help you and help me as we deal with depression when we find it attacking in our own lives. And don't be surprised when it does. Let me tell you this morning, nobody is exempt. Nobody is exempt. In fact, some of God's choicest servants found themselves battling with the demon of Depression. The psalmist knew it well and wrote in Psalm 42.5, Why are you downcast, O oh, my soul? Why is there such turmoil within me? Moses asked God to take his life. Job said to the Lord, Please kill me. Elijah wanted God to slay him. Jonah asked God to do away with him. Saul, the first king of Israel, destroyed himself and those around him because of terrible fits of depression. But when we come to our text today, and I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to the 20th chapter of the Old Testament prophecy of Jeremiah. When we come to our text today in Jeremiah chapter 20, we find the most miserable one of all when it comes to the matter of depression. Now, Jeremiah's struggle, his fight, his battle with Despair and melancholy has led many to call him the weeping prophet. In fact, many Bible scholars give Jeremiah credit for writing what is surely the most sorrowful book in all of the Bible, the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah's discouragement and melancholy and depression seems to be the rock bottom example in all of Scripture. And yet, this is the prophet most often quoted by Jesus. No man in history could have possibly served God with more determination and commitment and surrender than Jeremiah did. And yet, as our text is going to show us this morning, this great man of God struggled with truly terrible depression. So as we look at what the Word of God has to say to us this morning, I want us to begin by, by trying to look and see what this text has to say to us about some of the reasons for depression. Some of the reasons for depression. I I ran across uh, this past week an article. It's an older article. I was doing some research out of Eternity Magazine. And that article listed some of the reasons for depression among Christians. Some of those reasons included, just let me share them with you. Job and financial pressures, low self-esteem, relationship problems, loneliness, self-condemnation, self-pity, Illness, loss of a loved one, conflict within the church. Now, interestingly, Jeremiah seems to have had struggles in almost every one of these areas. And when he looked at all of the problems in his life, he did what many of God's people do today. Here's reason number one. He began to feel like he was a victim of divine Deceit. And I can begin to feel that way. When, when life and all of its pressures and problems begin, begin to crash in on me, when the hurts and the pains and the struggles become more than I can bear, I can begin to imagine myself as a victim of divine deceit. I, in other words, I can begin to feel like, God, you have let me down. God, you have not come through for me. Look at verse 7, the first part, in Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah speaking says, O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. Now... I've already shared with you that Jeremiah had a lot of struggles and a lot of problems, but there's a couple of things you need to understand also to understand why Jeremiah would have said what he said here. So let me give you a couple of things that you need to know about Jeremiah and his circumstances that will help you understand a little bit better his anguish and his despair. couple of things here. Number one, when Jeremiah penned these words... He had been serving God faithfully for 20 years. For two decades, he had been God's prophet. He had been faithfully proclaiming God's word in dark and difficult days. And yet all he had to show for it after, listen, after 20 years was trouble, misunderstanding, persecution, and outright hatred from the people around him. In fact, when Jeremiah first wrote this prophecy of radical repentance, a pagan king took it from him, cut it up, and burned it piece by piece. (laughs) Jeremiah was falsely accused. He was arrested. He was thrown into prison. At one time, he was actually thrown down into the bottom of a muddy cistern where he sunk up to his waist and he was left there and would have very likely died there had he not been rescued by a foreigner. So you need to understand Jeremiah's life had been full of struggles. That's that's the first thing you need to know, even though he'd been serving God faithfully for 20 years. The second thing you need to understand is this. God had made some incredible promises to Jeremiah. When he had first called him. Now, I, I noticed on, on the message guide there, it looks like that I've got my, my verses, re, uh, scripture references reversed, so you, you can just draw a little arrow um, to, to, to make these right. But, but anyway, I want you to look in Jeremiah chapter 1. I'll read some verses to you. You can see these promises. Verse 5, God said to Jeremiah, "'Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you to be a prophet to the nations.'" Verses 9 and 10, then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and kingdoms to pluck up and break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And then finally, verses 18 and 19 of chapter 1, God said, and and behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls. Against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of this land, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Now, these are some incredible promises that God made to Jeremiah. What what an incredible commission But after 20 years of faithfully serving God, things were just as bad in Jerusalem as they'd ever been, maybe even worse. Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of the Babylonian Empire were on the march threatening Jerusalem. The politicians and the religious leaders of the day were against Jeremiah. So this great prophet, giving way to his frustration and his pain, accuses God of divine deceit, of promising but not delivering. In other words, Jeremiah looks up into heaven and in some of the most angry, really, church, even blasphemous language in the Old Testament, he says, God, you deceived me. Now, literally, the Hebrew says, God, you seduced me. You enticed me. God, you you ravished me. Me, like a prostitute entices a lover to get his money and then thrust him away, Jeremiah says to God, God, you set me up just to knock me down. And this isn't the only place that Jeremiah accuses God of this kind of divine deceit. Look at verse 18 there in your message guide. Jeremiah says, why is my pain unceasing, my wounds incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me, God, like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Do you see what Jeremiah is saying here? He's saying, God, (laughs) you, you deceive me. And here's why. Your promises sound good. I mean, you make everything look good. But the bigger the promise, the bigger the disappointment. The more I pursue you, God, the farther away you seem to be. It's all a mirage. It's a show. It's a scam. God, you have deceived me. You told me one thing. But I'm experiencing something else. Now, let me ask you. And would you be honest this morning? Have you ever felt that way? God, this isn't working. God, I've tried to follow you. God, I'm trying to obey you. I've trusted you with this situation. I've prayed to you about this circumstance. But you have let me Down. You told me one thing. (laughs) This Word tells me one thing. But I'm experiencing something else. My situation is in shambles. My circumstances are a disaster. God, you have deceived me. You have let me down. Let me tell you, if we're as honest as Jeremiah we'd probably confess that we've all looked up into heaven and made similar kinds of remarks, haven't we? And when that happens, when you feel like God has told you one thing, but you're experiencing something else, it's easy to feel like you're a victim of divine deceit, that God hasn't kept His promises, and that can be... Very hard and can very quickly lead to depression. So, reason number one, I, I, I can begin to feel like I'm a victim of of divine deceit. God has promised, but he hasn't. He hasn't delivered. He hasn't come through for me. But there's a second reason for depression that we see here in these verses, and that is I can begin to feel like I am a victim of repeated. Rejection. Repeated rejection. Now, verses 7, 8, and 10 are hard to read, but look at what Jeremiah says. Everyone makes fun of me. They laugh at me all day long. Lord, I'm ridiculed and scorned all the time because I proclaim your message. I hear everybody whispering. Even my close friends wait for my downfall. Perhaps he can be tricked, they say. Then we can catch him and get our revenge. Let me tell you, for Jeremiah, rejection was a way of life. Ridicule, people making fun of him, insulting him, talking about him behind his back. I mean, it was bad enough that the religious leaders and the politicians of the day were out to get him, but here we see that even his closest friends were plotting against him. That kind of repeated rejection brought Jeremiah to the point of paranoia. In fact, notice here in these verses that he says, everyone and everybody, he saw rejection everywhere. Felt like he had nowhere to turn, couldn't turn to his family, couldn't turn to his friends or seemingly even to God because he had experienced repeated deflating, depressing rejection. All of us can identify with that feeling in one way or another, can't we? At one time or another, every one of us here today has known the sting of rejection. Maybe it goes as far back as the elementary school playground when you were always the last one chosen for the team. Maybe it was the rejection of a spouse, a child who rebelled against you, a friend who turned against you, a parent who walked out on you, you. Maybe it was a phone call from the boss. Sorry, but we're terminating your employment. Maybe it was the promotion you got passed over for. Or the opportunity that went to someone else. I mean, we could list thing after thing after thing, but we've all known the pain of rejection. We know what it's like to reach for a goal and fail. To dream a dream that hasn't come true, to get our hopes up only to have them dashed to the ground. That kind of rejection hits hard, and the hurt and the pain and the disappointment of those stings sometimes last for days, weeks, months, sometimes even years, and they can lead us right down the road to depression. Well, there are other reasons we could think of, but here are two from this text as to why we may experience depress- depression. We feel like, number one, God's let us down. Number two, we face the reality of painful rejection by people or by circumstances in our lives. So, so how do we handle this? What, what What are our responses to depression? Surely, as Christians, We can respond rationally and reasonably when we battle depression, right? Well, not if Jeremiah is our example. If if he's a typical case study, then sometimes we don't fare so well here. So can we look at some responses to depression very quickly this morning? What are some common ways we respond when we find ourselves in the pit of despair? Let me, let me suggest three. First of all, there is the response of immobilizing bitterness. Immobilizing bitterness. Now, in the midst of his depression, Jeremiah lashed out with <laughs> with with some of the most violent words in the Old Testament. Look at verse 14. He says, Cursed be the day on which I was born. The day when my mother bore me, may it not be blessed. Now, you need to understand something. In that ancient Hebrew culture of Jeremiah's day, to curse your parents was a capital offense. You could be put to death for that. Well, Jeremiah walks a fine line here. He doesn't actually curse his parents, but he curses the day he was born and in so doing actually curses the call of God upon his life because we'd seen in chapter 1 where God had said to him, I ordained you to be my prophet from the time you were in your mother's womb. You see, Jeremiah, like many of us, became bitter because of his many problems, and he said what many of us have said from time to time. You know, I just wish I hadn't even been born. That kind of bitterness completely immobilizes us, and it it, really it drives us even deeper into the pit of depression. And then there's a second response. Irrational anger. Irrational anger. Out of his bitterness, Jeremiah began to lash out at those around him with an irrational unfairness and deep-seated anger. Verses 15 and 16. He says, Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, a son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities the Lord overthrew without pity. So Jeremiah takes his anger out on an innocent... Don't you feel sorry for this guy? I I, I mean, there's this man who comes up and says... To Jeremiah's dad, congratulations, you, you've got a bouncing baby boy. But Jeremiah is so irrationally unfair in his anger that he says, okay, buddy, you need to be cursed. I want you to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, I want fire and brimstone to rain down from heaven upon your head. I mean, I could just picture this guy cowering in the corner saying, gee, all I said was you had a baby boy. I didn't do anything. And yet, Jeremiah was so irrational in his anger and his frustration that he took it out on an innocent victim. You know, psychologists tell us that depression, at every phase of its development, includes a component of anger, and that anger is often directed at those closest to us, even even when they're innocent, even when sometimes they're trying to help us. So irrational anger, immobilizing bitterness, but finally, insurmountable despair. Insurmountable despair. This is what leads many people to the point... Where they begin to consider taking their own life, you're not going to find any more passionate words of desperation anywhere than those Jeremiah speaks here in verses 17 and 18. Look at them. He should have killed me before I was born with that womb as my tomb. My mother pregnant for the rest of her life with a baby dead in her womb. Why, oh why, did I ever leave that womb? Life has been nothing but trouble. And then what's coming is more of the same. Now here's a man who has absolutely reached the end of his rope. The hole could not be deeper. The darkness could not be blacker. I mean, there is no hope here. So he seriously begins to contemplate death. i me share something with you. One 16-year study that I looked at this week reveals that almost 20% of people with major clinical depression, that's one out of five, will eventually kill themselves. Did you know this morning that suicides among depressed adolescents and teenagers has tripled over the past 50 years so that it is now the second most common cause of death among young adults, adolescents, and teenagers? Let me tell you, this is where Jeremiah was. Now let me ask you a question. If you'd been his friend, what would you have said to him? If you'd been his counselor, how would you have responded to him? Do you think it would have helped to say, come on, old buddy, cheer up. Things aren't that bad. Come on, you can make it. I don't know. Somehow, I don't think that would have helped very much. What do you, what do you say to a man like Jeremiah? Come to think of it, what do you say to yourself when bitterness and anger and despair become your lot in life? What do you say? How do you deal with it? Well, very quickly this morning, let me give you straight from God's Word some resources that you have and I have when we find ourselves in times of depression because we do have some incredible resources available to us as children of God. Let me share them with you in conclusion this morning. Number one, when I'm dealing with depression, struggling, when I find myself in the pit, I must believe that God is still working even in the silence. I must believe that God is still working even in the silence. You see, Jeremiah discovered even in the midst of his depression that God was still working in his life. Now, let me tell you something. That knowledge didn't come from seeing God at work. It didn't come from Hearing God, because Jeremiah couldn't see God doing things, and heaven in that moment seemed as silent as the grave. And yet, if you look at verse 11, Jeremiah was able to say, but the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. Let me tell you something. Even when Jeremiah couldn't see, Even when he could not hear, there was a trust, there was an unshakable belief that God had not abandoned him. Now, every single one of us has come to those points in our lives where God has seemed remote, distant, haven't we? When it seems that God is not answering our prayers or even listening to us, let me tell you, those can be some of the most difficult times of all, and yet we must understand that just because God does not thunder from heaven doesn't mean He's not doing something significant and redemptive in our lives and in our circumstances. Let me point you to one example. We would do well to remember we would do well to remember that when Jesus Christ hung on the cross and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus cried out those words, heaven was strangely and starkly silent. But in that silence, God was doing His greatest work of all. He was redeeming the human race. So do not fall into the trap of thinking... That just because you're not hearing something from God, just because you're not seeing God do something, that He is not working. No, I must believe by faith that God is still working even in the silence. That's number one. Number two, I must keep talking to God even in the darkness. I must keep talking to God even in the darkness. Now, this is a great thing. Through all of his struggles, Jeremiah never once stopped talking to God. Now, it's true that a lot of the things he had to say wouldn't make very pretty devotions for the women's Bible study, okay? But that's okay. The important thing is that no matter how far down Jeremiah went, he was still saying something to God. In fact, verse 12, you'll see it there, the last part, he says, O oh God, to you, I have committed my cause. In other words, God, I'm laying all this stuff out before you because you're the one who's going to have to do something about it. I can't. So I'm just committing all this to you, God. I'm continuing to talk to you about this. And let me tell you something. God was gracious enough, and he understood Jeremiah's weaknesses well enough that he was willing to hear everything Jeremiah had Say, and you know what? He's willing to listen to you and what you have to say and what I have to say. So, can I tell you this morning it is okay for you to tell God how you feel, it's okay to unload your frustrations on Him, your feelings of despair, your hurt, your anger. God's big enough to handle that. You're not going to make Him so dizzy that He falls off His throne. Talk to Him. Tell him how you feel. Over and over again in the Psalms, the psalmist tells God how he feels, tells him everything that's on his heart. Job cried out in the same way. So did Moses, Elijah, Jonah, and all the rest. Psychologists will all agree about the value of having someone you can talk to, someone who will listen to you and who will listen to you better and who knows you better than God. Talk to Him. Let me give you a verse. It's not on your message guide there, but it's one you really ought to know. Psalm one hundred three, fourteen. Reminds us that God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows our weaknesses, our frailties. He understands, so don't close yourself off to Him. That's the worst thing you can do when you're depressed. Talk to God, even if your prayers are harsh and angry. God can handle it, and it'll help you. Like it helped Jeremiah to climb out of the pit. Finally. I must keep praising God even in the pain. I must believe God's still working even in the silence. I must keep talking to God even in the darkness. I must keep praising God even in the pain. Now, when you understand what Jeremiah had gone through and what he was struggling with, it is absolutely amazing and and astounding to me that he says what he says here in verse 13. Look at it. Sing to the Lord. (laughs) praise to the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hands of the evildoers. (laughs) In the midst of all this depression, in the midst of all this anger and bitterness and frustration, there is this hymn of praise that seems strangely out of place in the middle of all of this other stuff. But you see, Jeremiah had learned something that that you and I desperately need to learn as well, and that is this truth. Fill in the blanks. The ladder that leads me up out of the pit is constructed with the rungs of praise. The ladder that leads me up out of the pit is constructed with the rungs of praise. Jonathan... Oatman learned that secret. You may not know his name, but I bet many of you will recognize these words that he penned. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you. What the Lord has done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy? You're called to bear. Count your many blessings. Every doubt will fly and you will be singing as the days go by. Let me encourage you. When you're at the bottom of the pit, to look up and find something to praise God for. Now, it may be that some days all you can praise God for is what has not happened to you that day. But let me tell you, taking that first step is one of the greatest resources you have in battling overpowering depression. The great evangelist John Haggai, in his book entitled how to win over worry tells the story that as a young minister he was pastoring a church where there were many troubles and many problems at the same time he and his wife had a baby born into their home and because a drunken doctor had put the baby into an overheated incubator it had suffered permanent brain damage with troubles at church and a baby with irreparable brain damage John Haggai wrote and I quote I almost went out of my mind. I drove my car out to a country road where no one would hear me. I threw open the door and I got out of the car and I walked up and down that lonely lane with my hands in the air, thanking God for everything I could possibly think of, praising Him for everything He has ever done for me. I kept my sanity that way. My friend, when you fall into the pit of despair, And depression, and most of us will sooner or later. Would you remember the example of Jeremiah and the testimony of John Haggai? And would you also realize you know a Savior that Jeremiah never knew? A Savior about whom you can testify along with the hymn writer from sinking sand. He lifted me with tender hand he lifted me from shades of night to plains of light oh praise his name he lifted me my chains are gone i've been set free my god my savior has rescued me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. Heavenly Father, when we're down, and we will be, Keep us talking to you. And Lord, when the pit is deep and when the way is dark, help us to look up and find something we can praise you for. And help us to remember always that even when we've given up on you, You never, ever, ever give up on us. Help us, God, to walk in the victory that you promise. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning underneath the sound of my voice, Who's struggling with anxiety, worry, despair, depression? Oh God, I pray that somehow your word this morning would have spoken encouragement, would have shown light into the darkness. And Lord, doesn't mean everything's gonna magically become great, doesn't mean this won't be a daily battle. But God, you have given us resources through your word to help us. I pray we'll lay hold of those this morning that we might experience the reality of what it means to walk in victory more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. is the prayer that we pray in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me this morning? These altars are open. Maybe you just need to come and lay a burden down. Maybe there's someone here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Now listen to me, (laughs) talking about in your heart right now, where you stand. Pastor, I have no assurance of my salvation. I have absolutely no assurance that if I were to die right now, that I would spend eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. I've been coming to church. I know all the answers. I can give you the ABCs of salvation. I can do all of that stuff. But I don't walk in victory. I don't have a personal, intimate relationship with Christ. He's not influencing my decisions daily. He's not guiding me. He's not my example. I'm not doing what he wants me to do. I'm doing what I want to do. Well, my friend, you will never gain victory over depression or anything else in life until you give yourself wholly and completely to this one who loved you and gave himself for you and who has promised you not only eternal life, but an abundant life right now. If you don't know Him this morning, as we stand on the cusp of a brand new year, would you take the opportunity right now to come forward and say, Pastor, I need Him. I don't know what it means. I don't know what I need to do. That's fine. That's why we're here. I don't have anything on my schedule that says I have to leave at 11.15. I'll stay here as long as I need to. We'll let everybody else go, but you stay. We'll spend time with you. There'll be others here who'll spend time with you. Maybe you just need to come at the point of the message. I don't know how God's spoken to you today, but as we sing one more time, my chains are gone. If that's not your reality, would you make it your reality this morning as we sing, as we worship?